It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Well done to Cork's Denise O'Sullivan, who scored. Last night. I tell you, I did honours maths, as you know. <laughs> and I did maths in college for two years. That flipping playoff system, trying to understand it. Poor Tony O'Donoghue was trying to explain it this morning on the radio, and I thought, Tony, <laughs> get out of abacus because it's as easy to figure it out. We've jumped one round of qualifiers by winning last night, which is great. But then we've got to go into another round. And then if we win and draw or... Oh, Jenny, God, merciful. Our bot in isn't it brilliant to see our Irish women qualifying or at least getting into the playoffs for a massive international tournament. Good to see it. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96. Text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Will we have the electricity though to watch it when the matches are on? There's a point. There's something to call. Plus, are they actually telling us to run our dishwashers and run our tumble dryers and run our washing machines in the middle of the night? I, I, maybe they are. I, I get that distinct impression that that's what they want us to do. The thing about it is every fire officer in the country is now sitting there with their head in their hands going, we've been telling people for years, don't run your tumble dryer in the middle of the night. So who's right and who's wrong here? 0818 96 96 96. Your thoughts on all of this? Welcome on the opinion line. Tracy, you have a real problem, though, because already you are cold because of your physical health. Morning to you. 
Good morning, young man. How are you this fine day? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm, I'm, we're <laughs> friends already for you referring to me as young man. Thank you. Ah, sure, look. <laughs> You're only as young as you feel. Ain't that the truth? Although, for, for, I could say for the last three or four years, I feel like a 90-year-old woman. What's the problem, Trace? I have a condition called chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. Right which is the side effect of going through chemo. I just had to be the one patient in 100 that had a severe reaction to the chemo, and it affects the nervous system, muscles, and the joints. Right. So I feel cold 24-7. So it affects your ability to feel warm. That is correct, yes. I'm sitting here the last three or four days now alone, just shivering. And that there's, I'm dreading, dreading the winter bills. And we're only in the first week of September yet. I met someone like you before a number of years ago who'd suffered this too. And on a warm summer's day, they were cold and wearing a jumper. That is correct. I could be, I, I've had a couple of days this year in July where we've had good weather where I've had the heating on, the gas heating on full blast and the fire lit as well. And you're still... With cold. a big heavy blanket wrapped around me and I'm still frozen to the bone. Your fears heading into winter are all obvious, Tracy. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the last few months alone, I've noticed quite a hike in just ESB alone because I switched to meters about six years ago. Yeah. The only thing I would say in favour of meters is it's good. It's excellent for budgeting. Yes. Yes. And up to a couple of months ago, I knew on a Wednesday I would put 50 euros on the ESB meter and 40 euros on the gas meter, and that would do for the week. Yes. The last three or four months, we're running into the emergency credit and having having to top it up. It could the ESB alone could go up to 80 euros a week. Something nasty that happens with those meters too, <coughs> Tracy. Sorry, if I remember that correctly, is there is a period, isn't there, over which they won't cut you off. But then when you go to put more credit Hello? in the machine, there is a period of time in which they won't cut you off. But if you go and top up then, it takes money off the top up. Am I right there? Oh, I think she's gone. Fiona will try and get her back on another line. Thank you, Tracy. She suffers from a condition with a big name. It's called chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, and she's permanently cold. Trace, what I was saying was that with those meters as well, you can get caught out, can't you? There's a time when they won't turn you off, but yet when you go to top it up, there's credit gone before you even start. I've, ne- I've never noticed that now, to be quite honest. Uh, Jim, oh, God, Peter. Oh, there goes the cash. You're okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've noticed all right now the last few months we have been running into using the, emer- the emergency credit. Yes. yes. And when you're on, it sounds silly, but when you're on social welfare and you're relying on topping up your meters, if your emergency credit runs out and you can't top up by card and you ring prepay power, they won't turn your power back on unless you cough up 50 euros. Yeah. They will insist on 50 euros minimum to top up over the phone. Since you ever had that, I'd have bought credit. 
Yeah, yeah. So have you got any help with your need for all that heating? Have you any help welfare-wise? I do. I get a marvellous thing called an exceptional needs heating allowance, which is €40 Euros a month. Okay. And I had to beg for that. I've had to apply for three, reapply for it three or four times, and my GP eventually wrote a letter saying this is an indefinite condition. It is not going to improve. It's not going to get any better. And the forty euros a month doesn't even touch the sides of the amount of gas I use. Yeah, you must I would be, have to budget. You must be dreading. You must be dreading. I have to budget a minimum of 160 to 200 euros a month alone just for gas. Wow. And do you live on your own? And No, I have uh, five children. Okay. okay. I have five children. Four of them are in secondary school, so you could imagine the astronomical costs with that alone as well. Oh. <laughs> I have one in first year. One in fourth year and two in fifth year. Oh, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> Breathing costs money when they have that many children at school. It is, but, you know, they're, they're, at the, they're all teenagers now, so they're at the phase like where you're yelling at them, turn the bloody lights off. Turn the lights off. Don't use the immersion. Oh, no. So you must thank be, God. Now I've never, I've never had to use the immersion in twelve years. No, no, I, I, we had to use it but, once when the electronic panel went see, in the boiler. It cost an absolute fortune. Oh God! Yeah, when you have these 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 dual heating systems like we have, which is gas and solid fuel and electricity, you're caught always. Yeah, because the solid fuel only heats the sitting room and nothing else. The gas won't work without electricity, so you're 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 paying double if you like for gas and electricity. Yeah, because your your gas heating system won't work without electricity, and vice versa. Correct. Correct. You know, it's 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 crazy. I'm just, I'm dreading coming. I mean, we're only in September now. I'm just dreading what the bills are going to be like. Yeah. November, December, January, when we're in the in the cold, wet, miserable weather. How do you sleep when you're always cold? I don't. I don't sleep. Um, if I get an hour, maybe two hours unbroken sleep at night, it's a luxury. Because the chemo, the CIPN causes constant pain, not just, not just that feeling of cold. It's pain in every joint and muscle in your body. I've already had a left knee replacement and I need a right knee replacement and I'm putting it off because it's a horrendous operation. Yeah, and and I think for, for the benefit of listeners, like I said, Tracy, I met someone a number of years ago with a similar condition. You experience cold as pain. Yes. We feel cold, we feel the shivers and we need to warm up and put an extra jumper on or something. You feel cold as pain. Yes, I suppose the best, the easiest way to describe it, it's, do you know that sensation when you get what they call goosebumps? I do. It's that, 24-7. Oh, you poor woman. And then you have the shivering that goes with it and the constant cold. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. 
Oh, God, God help you. I, I, I really hope something gets done for people like you, Tracy. Thank you so much. And of course, that cost of living protest is coming up in Cork on Saturday week. Saturday week, the 24th. These messages are coming in a couple of days now. And I'm, Kevin says, imagine needing a nebulizer heading into the winter. I'm thinking of anybody who has machinery at home that they need for their health. Nebulizers is one. Oxygen pumps is another. Anyone needing, for example, mobility aids, motorised mobility aids. Tracy needs the heating on all the time. Like, what are these people supposed to do? 0818-969696. It drags me on to something else, which I have seen on the news again in the last few days and indeed I remember reading about it last year and do you know this thing about they want to put a million electric cars on the road by 2030 and everybody in a million and everybody in the motor trade is going no lads you can't do that they've got this idea that they will ban the installation of gas boilers by 2025 so if your current gas boiler goes kaput between now and 2025, well, you'll be all right, you can replace it. But after 2025, if your current gas boiler goes kaput, they won't let you replace it with a new one. You won't be able to put a new one into your house when you're building a house. And I think the same goes for oil. You'll need to convert your home heating system if you want to replace how it works which is going to cost you a blasted fortune. After 2025, or actually almost immediately, newly built homes won't be able to have gas boilers. So any home built from sort of late this year, early next year, you won't be able to have a gas boiler in it. And existing homes, you won't be able to replace a gas boiler with a gas boiler, possibly as soon as 2025. He says, what we need to do now is make it clear for people that we're switching away from fossil fuels. And when it comes to existing boilers, here's what Eamon Ryan said, that whole fleet of boilers that were built between, in houses built between 2000 and 2010, we have to make sure they switch to heat pumps, not to new gas boilers, not to replace fossil with fossil. Plumber Dave Gibbons. Dave, is this possible or is it pie in the sky like a million electric cars by 2030? Good morning. PJ, how are you? Um, I'd say it's a pie in the sky. Um, you know, right, if you put a heat pump into my house tomorrow morning, that's, we'll say, it was built in 212, 213. The radiator that I would have in my front room for Arvind's sake would be six foot long, maybe a double, you know? Yeah. If I had to put a heat pump into, into heat that room, I'd have to double the size of the radiator in length. So, in order then to heat that, it will cost you a fortune on ESB, on power, if you know what I mean. That's the point. Yeah. So And the heat pump. If I dig up my house. And the heat pump costs yeah. a fortune to install. It does, because if I had to do it the right way, like, the heat pumps are ideal for a new house. But if I had to go in the morning and put in a new heating system, I'd have to take up all my chimney floors downstairs, chase up all the floors, put in the underfloor heating and then install a heat pump. And then I'd have to I'd have to go upstairs and then lengthen all the radiators 
because you can't put on the floor heating really in a timber frame house upstairs, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It has timber floors. Yeah. I, it's, it's a pie in the sky. But I was listening there to the SDI lady there on the, some other radio last weekend and she was asked these questions and she said there was nothing definite made about it, you know. So they throw out these things and then they let, let us all shiver and saying, what are we going to do next? Yeah. It wouldn't pay people to do it. Couldn't pay people. Now, there is a grant scheme available, but someone did a spreadsheet for us here on the show uh, last year, Dave, when they were doing a retrofit, yeah. and this is a man who admitted, I can afford to do this, so it's not a problem for me. But he applied, and he was able to get the maximum amount of grant available, and he still had to fork out the bones of 35 grand. I mean, who's got that lying around? You see, nobody has that line on. Plus the mess, you don't have to move over to your house. Now, if you bought a house and you're doing it up, fine. And I think the limit anyway is 25,000, isn't it? There's a limit. around that yeah. figure. Yeah. You see, years ago, we said the old oil boilers going back 15 years ago. Uh, right, they were guzzlers and they were harming the atmosphere. Then you, you had the new condensing boilers. We're putting them in now at the moment in houses. You can actually breed, no, it's not sure what I meant to do it. You can actually breed the, the steam coming out of the flue pipe, and then the oil is condensed into a little pipe like a washing machine that goes into the drains. Yeah. Like, I installed one of those myself about three years ago, and I'm f- finding it fantastic. And it's good for the environment, and yeah. it will save you about 40% of your oil bills every year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And gas boilers. I mean, I put a new gas boiler about 10 years ago, and it's a fine, reliable yoke. But I would dread the cost of having to replace it with a heat pump. You couldn't do it. You won't you want be able to do it. Like, mind the cost. You have to dig up the whole house. If, you know, for under, it will work efficiently if you have underfloor heating. It won't work really with rats. Waste of time. You can listen to every expert in the world, but I've been through it. And the other side of it then... You have to, you bring your house up to 20 degrees, okay? Mm. Uh, gradually. You can't leave her at 10 and then say, oh, there's frost on the ground tomorrow. We'll jack it up. It'll take a few days to come up. The other side of that then is if you're facing the south and if you have a lot of heat coming through your windows, you're nearly opening the windows to leave the heat out. You know, on a, some summer or winter mornings we get weather like that, you know? Yes. yes. So, like, I, I have the solar panels now at home and and we do a lot of solar servicing of, of panels, you know. But people are, like, we get a run of, of people now, I would say, right, oh, I want to get my solar panels serviced. That's now for the water ones, you know. And you, you ask them, how much the last service? About 10 years ago or five years ago, you know. There's something that have to be done every two years. And that's one way of saving money. Yeah. The, the other side with thermostatic rad valves, before the bringing this law, if, if it'll ever come in, sure, the, the Greens could be gone out of government the next time round. Things will change. What they should have done, they should have waited. They closed down the peat stations. They closed down everything but fossil fuels. They should have kept them running until we had enough power to run the country and then closed them down. Yeah. Like, we're coming into the winter now and we're going to power cuts. Yeah. It's looking inevitable, isn't it, Dave? Because there are one or two oh. generators that are either not working or in need of being closed down to service. And we could be, if we get a cold winter, we could be banjaxed with power cuts. Banjaxed? We should be, well, I bought a generator there about two years ago just to run the house because we're living in the countryside. And if we get a power cut, 
or sorry, if we get a storm, we have no power for maybe two or three days. If we get snow, we mightn't have power for, for six or seven days, which happened there a few years back. Yeah. The thought hasn't gone into it. You have these guys above, and they, they, they get these ideas instead of actually asking the contractors for their opinion before they bring anything like this out. And the other side of it, if they're going to bring this in five years' time, four years' time, replace your boiler with a new one, and at least you get 20 years out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but what they'll do then is they'll outprice the oil and they'll outprice the gas. But until they get the power right in this country, it's only a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. A waste of time. All right. Dave, thank you. One last question. I don't know if this covers your remit, but it came in yesterday from Morris. And I know that a, a plumber would, would, would sometimes be the fellow who'd fit the feed to your washing machine. Can you feed hot water directly into a washing machine? Is it safe to do it? Yeah. Wouldn't be my expertise, but saying that, you see, what would happen then when you're drying the clothes, the water, the clothes might come out hot. I see, I see. There you go. Now, do you all wash the machines long ago? They had a hot feed and a cold feed. They did, they did. So, so you see, what they did then that time was that the before the spin, the cold water went in to give it another wash, and at least then when it was drying, the, the clothes came out cold. If you know what I mean. I got you. Not hot. I got you. So they're washed in hot. And then they're rinsed in a cool water and then they're spun. But if you're taking the hot water in, you're taking out the... I got you. I got you. Dave, thanks very much, Dave Gibbons. Um, Another guy who's actually doing stuff like this for a living who says all this heat pump changeover and bans on boilers and all this kind of carry on. It's, It's pie in the sky. It can't be done. And he makes the point that... So many people are making. We all know that we have to change how we generate our power. We all know that we have to use more renewables, more wind, more solar, more wave power, if and when we can. We all know that. But, like, we can't just stop using the old methods when we don't yet have a way of replacing them 100% overnight. We just don't. 0818 96 96 96. My sister-in-law has a heat exchanger. It costs a fortune to run, says Kate. So now she's looking at adding solar panels as well. And Noel says the problem with the Green Party is it's too middle. I'll read that in a minute, actually, because I want to get to I want to get to Richard because I know I know he's busy. We got an inquiry about holiday pay and I know most people have had their holidays now at this stage but then if you've got a problem with holiday pay you've got a problem with holiday pay it's been law for some time now says our correspondent who wants to keep his name out of the radio which is fine it's been law for some time now that salespeople should be paid their average commission as part of their annual leave remuneration my company aren't doing this and trying to represent yourself has proven futile. Would like to talk about it, or would like to discuss it. Richard Grogan, uh, employment lawyer. Richard, this idea, first of all, you, you, you've considered that query we had. Does this guy have a leg to stand on, or does he, does he have a case? Good morning. Well, good morning to you, Peter. Yes, of course he has a case. Now, the time limit for bringing claims at the present time actually runs out at the end of this month. So if you've got a, a problem, you get need to get it into the WRC by the 30th. 
because our annual leave year runs from the 1st of April to the 31st of March. You have to get matters in within six months. Holiday pay is very simple. It's the average of your pay in the 13 weeks prior to going on holidays. Now, that's your standard pay, bonuses, commission, and regular rostered overtime. Now, that's just that you didn't do one day, one week, and a couple of weeks later, you did uh, some, another bit of overtime. That's the regular rostered. But commission has to be taken into account. So it's your average over those 13 weeks. So your listener is absolutely right. His employer is not paying him his correct holiday pay. How does he go about claiming it? He put a claim into the WRC. I was not paid my holiday pay. Mm. And they'll do all the heavy lifting? Well, you go in and you say... It's a very simple, you say, when I was going on holidays, that's what I was earning, that's what I got paid, and I was that's what I should have been paid, which is the average of the 13 weeks before you went on holidays. And if it's a commission issue, it's going to be fairly easy to work out what the underpayment that you say was. Yeah. So, you know, if, you, if you'd earned commission of, for example, you're going on holidays for a week, if you'd earned commission of, uh, of 1,300 euros, you'd say, I was underpaid 100 euro. I see. Now, by the way, the WRC are not limited to just giving you that €100. Euro. They can also give you compensation. So it depends on what type of employer you're with. If you're with a small employer, they might say, look, we really didn't understand it. That's not an excuse. If you're with a big employer that we say has a HR department, then they can't put up that excuse. And the WRC have to put a figure there that would be persuasive of the employer going forward being compliant with the legislation, not punish them, but to encourage them, if I put it that way. So that's why extra compensation is normally awarded. Mm. Now, you mentioned something there that I want to, to tease out with you. I know you did this on your videos a while back, Richard. Um, the holiday year is not the calendar year. Can you explain no. why that is and what the confusion is? Uh, that came about because um, when they were bringing in the legislation, it was supposed to come in uh, in December, and there was a delay. It didn't come in until uh, into March. So they put it. They put. They picked a date of the first of April to start it off, rather than waiting for another nine months. So what it is, it's the first of April to the thirty-first of March. That's the statutory leave year. If an employer says, "Well, we work on the calendar year," no, you have to get your holidays, the minimum holidays, in that period of time. Otherwise, it's the same. It's an anomaly in the legislation. A lot of us have been looking to get it changed but nobody wants to change it. So if, for example, you come to the end of the calendar year and you have a couple of days floating about that you haven't taken, the company can't tell you you can't carry them over, can they? No, you, they, they, you have to be able to take those up to the 31st of March. The company says, well, you took 17 days on the calendar year. Well, the question is, did you take, did you take from the previous 1st of April to the following 31st of March? Did you get 20 days? or four weeks. If you didn't, then you've got a claim, and that can go in now by the 30th of September. I did not get my full holiday entitlement. I see. And ru- rules that say if you haven't taken all your days by the 31st of December, that rule has no standing, has it? Oh, absolutely none. Use, no, it, or, use a- it or lose it. They can't say that. No, they can't. Now, if you don't take it by the end of the statutory year, uh, then... That's a different matter, but it provided the employer is giving you the opportunity to take it. But no, they can't. The employer can't say we use the statutory leave year. That's you know we use sorry the calendar leave year. They can't do that. They can't say use them or lose them. There is a statutory leave year that's set by law, 
and it's there for over 20 years at this stage. Okay. Um, you, you, I was watching your videos of late and you were talking about uh, bank holidays versus public holidays, which sometimes comes into the calculation of leave. I was surprised there's only one bank holiday in the whole year. That's Good Friday, yes. We, we call we, we call all the August bank holiday, but they're public holidays. Right. Public holidays, you have to be paid for. Bank holidays, you don't have to be paid for. But there's only one, which is Good Friday. That's gas. So, yeah, well, it's just, it's the terminology that we use. We have always used bank, the word bank holidays. But in fact, they, there is only one bank holiday, which is, which is Good Friday. So we really should be referring to the August public holiday and the October public holiday rather than we say the, 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 um, the October bank holiday. That's okay. just how we call things, you know. Okay, so coming back finally, Richard, to our correspondent who, who hasn't been given his average uh, commission uh, as part of his holiday pay. He believed he had a case. He does indeed, but he's got a limited amount of time in which to take it. Yes, he's only got a couple of weeks now. So if he if he goes past the, the 30th of September, then you have to show except you have to show exceptional causes as why you should get an extension. So if you've got a dispute about holidays or holiday pay, get it in within the six months, which is the 30th of September. Always get the claim in, get it in, and then discuss it because you stop the time running. So if he has a problem, get his claim in. All you have to do is fill it out. Say I did not get my holiday pay, mm. my proper holiday pay. And don't put it under payment of wages. You put it under the Organisation of Working Time Act. That right. then will that then will cover it. And the WRC, I take it, has a website that'll do all the heavy lifting there for you. And it's not particularly difficult for the ordinary punter, is it, Richard? There's a form there that you fill out. Your name okay. and your address. It sets out the form, and you you just scroll down the one. The one that you're doing is, I did not get my holiday entitlements. Okay. One last one. That's, that's all you have to do. That's coming on a WhatsApp. My employer. <laughs> Now, I'm confused by this. My employer doesn't accrue holiday pay while on certified sick leave. Is that legal? It's rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish. If you're on certified sick leave, you get you accrue your holiday provided you're giving a medical certificate in on a regular basis and that covers absences of up to 15 months. And then you get your holidays when you come back to work or if you leave, you get compensated, the money amount when you leave. So the, that, that person's employer is absolutely wrong. Okay. Richard, thank you very much as always, Richard Grogan. You'll find him on TikTok. you find him on Instagram. That's the law. That's a fact. Uh, different vi- new video every day or two. Uh, and he's really just calls it like it is. Thank you, Richard, uh, employment lawyer, who has grown into a TikTok star over the last couple of months. Thanks, Rich. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, just on boilers. Yeah, I wanted to, to read this one. The problem with the Green Party is it is too middle class and doesn't understand that people don't have spare cash or access to credit or that banks take an awful lot of persuasion to lend to refurb an old house. The people in the party are either too young to own houses or they're comfortably off by and large. There's no one, or very few of them at least, that has life experience of, say, working in a supermarket and trying to raise a child in an old townhouse. Yeah, Kate, oh yeah, that one. Uh, Seamus, the Green Party have filled the gap <laughs> left by the monster raving looning party. It's not that I feel strongly about climate change one way or the other. It's that their plans don't make sense. You can't have that many electric vehicles until they put in the network and beef up delivery. 
Now this with the boilers. I know the idea is to change over to passive heating and air condensers, but that only works if you have heavy insulation um, for most of us. And the installers literally aren't there anyway. And it's going to be really, really expensive. It's going to be way too expensive to change over. 0818 96 96 96. Am I good to go? Yeah. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. On your radio every afternoon with the best tunes from the biggest names like these guys. My name is George Ezra. Hi, I'm Lizzo. This is Harry Styles. I am always good for a giveaway. You're very good, thanks for it. And the random stuff like House Envy. Can you see the water from where you are? I can. It's just beautiful, yeah. Any interest in doing a bit of Airbnb, Gillian? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sky VIP. At Sky, everyone's a VIP. Visit the VIP section of the My Sky app to discover your awards. On Cork's 96 FM. There's a headline actually in the Independent this morning. It says, shock and awe of huge energy bills will frighten families into curbing energy use, suggests the government. Who said that? Who sat at a table and said that? Oh, lads, you'll be all right. We'll, the bills will shock them, and they'll and they'll cut down on their on their use of electricity. What about Tracy? She can't. That's an awful thing to say. And whoever said that should be. Anyway, Derek, you have a you have a unique idea. Um, your eyesight, hopefully, is a lot better than mine. But try it anyway. Good morning. Oh, good morning, BJ. Just as you say there about shock and all, uh, I was talking to a woman there recently in the doctor's office and I, a couple of months back and I said to her, I said, we were in for some good weather. And she said, uh, oh, where did you hear that? And I said, it was on the news. She says, oh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't watch the news or buy the newspaper and that's all too scary these days. You know, and I, I get what you're saying there by shock and all, because when we had good weather there recently, uh, one of the papers said, uh, hot as hell. I mean, who actually... What was the editor that actually put that in? Hot as hell. It's like a, a scare tactic. No, but I'm, I'm just thinking that somewhere in government, if the Independent is reporting this accurately, I have no reason to believe that, that they're not. Somewhere in government, someone sat around a table and said, look, do you know, we won't really have to do a whole lot to get people to reduce their energy use because the bills will shock them into it. Yeah. What a yeah. horrible attitude to people. It is indeed. To ordinary people, old people, poor people, sick people. What a horrible attitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I was ringing you about is um, whenever I had a power cut before over the years, uh, I'd have a couple of solar lights, um, yeah. garden solar lights, and I'd have them in the back room that I kind of I wouldn't use it much, like probably a bit of, a, bit of an office. And uh, I'd have the solar lights uh, tilted on the windowsill in the back room. Right, and there was just times where I, even if the electricity wasn't off, I'd just get these lights that were charging, and uh, I'd just place them around the hall, place them around the house, or whatever. And um, there's there's some light in the house; they give a bit of light. Nice. Uh, you don't have to have your main lights on all the time with these uh, little solar lights that you can buy the garden ones. These are the little rock lights that charge up during the day, and they give a bit of light by night. Yeah, there's 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 loads of different types, as you know. Yeah, that's um, your four quid in Tesco. Like I have a load of them myself. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So like o- over time, I've 
been looking for ones that actually were a great shape for putting on the windowsill and I came across one there recently in the, the range but it was it was just one left and it was out of the box and I said it to the girl and I mentioned about what I was doing and she said that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So charge um, him up by day and bring him in by night. Yes, but I kind of want to make it a bit better this year now because of what's happening is that I'm after buying the long string ones. There's about three metres of light on them. Right. And what I want to do is I actually want to run the uh, solar panel itself, the little solar panel, outside the house. It's good to put a bit of tape around this um, ah, electrician tape. Ah, that's genius, Derek. Yeah, a bit of electrician tape and a bit of uh, blue tack in where the cable actually runs into the into it. It stops the water getting in the last a bit longer. Yes. So if the cable is running in your window and you, say, tack it in around the... Um, around the reveal or whatever yeah. or wherever or put it in a glass bottle and have it around the house or whatever you know um, I had to get creative because my wife wasn't liking my earlier designs <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know. Um, but it's just this thing that you could get a couple of solar well, maybe more than a couple but a few solar lights put them on the windowsill yeah. um, and that nice place around the house Ireland and I has like four seasons in one day, so we, every this now and true. then we do get a burst of sunlight. Well, uh, there, well, there's the thing. There's always one part of the backyard that will get sunshine, a bit of sunshine in the wintertime if there's any sun sun by day. Yeah, yeah. So leave them out there and let them charge up and bring them in by night. Or like you said, put the solar panel in the sunspot and yeah. run the lights inside. That's that's genius, Derek. Uh, sure, look, it's just... Uh, um, trying to be creative. Well, you won't have much light, but you have enough light to make a make a. Well, you what, can't what buy the kettle if there's no power, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, like last night there, I put a few around the hall, and I noticed they were, It's like they weren't giving off much light at the start, but it was more my eyes needed to adjust yeah. to the amount of light they were giving off. And at one stage, I walked out to the hall and went, "Actually, they're giving off a load of light. So I can see where I'm going." I didn't have to be kind of turning on the house lights while I was walking around, you know. So well, that's one way it could <laughs> save. It could save you. One way it could save you money if you only use lights in the essential room you're in and put those little lads around the awkward corners where you might stumble. Great idea, Derek. Great idea. Uh, use your solar lights in the winter time. Bring them into the house and light up those dark corners and keep the lights off. Thanks, Derek. And change all your bulbs. There should be no more regular light bulbs anywhere. Use LEDs. They're more expensive, but they do pay for themselves. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I'll come back to this, including that despicable comment from somebody in the government. Disgusting. I'm sorry. That is awful. Asher, uh, sure, look, the bills will shock them into cutting down their use anyway. Like who said that? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now turn to me. You've heard of it before. It's a national mental health charity, and it is launching a program uh, for school children and college students. Fiona O'Malley is their CEO. Fiona, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Delighted. You have two programs, actually. Uh, one for mm-hmm. one for secondary school, one for college. Tell me about them both in yeah. turn, I guess, is the best way. Yeah, so as you rightly say, we're a national mental health charity um, and we have launched two different support groups for teenagers starting or going back to secondary school and for young people going to college for the first time or returning to college. Um, And the reason we've started these support groups is we have seen a spike in young people using our website, experiencing anxiety as they prepare for school or college. Um, So the back to school support groups um, will launch uh, the back 
Leadership Skills Progress for Secondary School will launch at um, Wednesday and it'll run at 6pm every Wednesday from now until the end of October. That's starting um, this so evening, that- is it? That's right. Yeah. So if the thought of school makes you stressed, feeling anxious, feeling a little bit worried, this support group is the support group that you should be joining. And we have professional mental health um, workers who will be there and who will be monitoring and facilitating the support groups. And they will give you tips on how to manage that sickly feeling and learn the tools you need to get through it. Okay. And is there a charge? No, they're totally free. So the best thing about our support groups is that they are 100% free. They're available to everyone in Ireland and there's no waiting list. And then we have the college um, support groups, which will be running on Thursdays. That's tomorrow, starting tomorrow at 6pm and running until the end of October. Um, And those will be, I suppose, to facilitate those levels of anxiety that you get waiting for the CAO results, waiting for repeat exam results and preparing for the next academic year. A lot of unknowns for a lot of people starting college, whether it's a new campus, new timetable, new cities, new classmates, um, and being apprehensive and anxious and, and nervous is, is is normal. But we'll give you the tools again in those uh, support groups, um, which are run by mental health professionals, um, those tools to, to mitigate those levels of anxiety. And again, those support groups will be free for everyone in Ireland um, and people can uh, sign up for them. There's no waiting list on, on those support groups either or for any of our support groups indeed. Mm. And and people can register for free on our website for our professional mental health services on uh, the website, which is turntome.ie. That's turndigitome.ie. When, when I think back to my own student days, Fiona, I, I think I'd hate mm-hmm. to be a student now. The stresses and the anxieties are so much greater than they were. Oh, they just seem so amplified and every year there seems to be new challenges for, for young people and I mean it's certainly good training to build up their resilience but I don't envy the, the barriers and the hurdles they have to get over because it's not just you know the studying and balancing the extracurricular activities, it's all the pressures from the likes of social media, from TikTok, and Instagram, Facebook they can all be really toxic places so I'm just really glad that those weren't as big when I was, when I was doing my leaving search because I think it would have been certainly a strain on, on my mental health and you know a lot of people that come to use our services report um, bullying and feelings of isolation and um, really nasty toxic um, behaviour on social media so mm-hmm. I don't I really don't envy young people today they're they're fantastic for, for going through what they what, what they um, do go through but if they need any extra bit of support as I say our mental health services are free they run 365 days a year and we have a and we only work with mental health professionals and uh, they're available to everyone on the Excellent. island of Ireland. You've also got a, a mood diary. Tell me about that. Yeah, so our mood diary is called our Thought Catcher. Um, and that works, that runs every day from 2pm until 8pm and it runs 365 days a year. And the way that that works is some people can post about how they're feeling and problems that they're going through, anxieties that they have and other people can respond and they can say, oh, I went through something similar or this is how I dealt with it. And it creates an online community where people can be supportive and uplifting but also can unload the problems that they're having. But they're really important 
important thing about this thought catcher is, as I touched on previously, um, social media can be very dark, toxic place with a lot of hurtful and harmful comments. There's no room for that in the thought catcher. The thought catcher is moderated. We have over 600 words that are automatically flagged and um, kind of they, they freeze the comment before it's posted. Um, but we do have uh, trained professional moderators on the thought catcher service who are fantastic and um, who will just ensure that there's no room for any of those hateful or harmful comments and that the thought catcher remains a positive a positive uh, space. And what's really interesting about the thought catcher is people who are at the receiving end of these positive comments, their mental health benefits, but also the people who are giving these supportive comments um, to, to other users, their mental health journey benefits as well. It's a, it's a form of peer-to-peer support and it's, yeah. it's really lovely to see that, that, that engagement and those levels of positivity. It's a win-win. Thank you, Fiona. Fiona O'Malley, CEO of Turn To Me. That's Turn, the number two, and me. They have a, an online service starting this evening for secondary school students. starts this evening at six, and they've won for college-going people tomorrow at six, and they run through to the end of October. Turn to, number two, me. 0818 96 96 96. My friend just got a quote for a heat pump system to be installed. The quote was 18,500. Not everybody has that in their back pocket. And I think, I, I, know, I don't know what the exact number is, but I know that the heat pump grant isn't even a fraction, is barely a fraction of that. 0818 96 96 96. In on the voice notes. PJ, good morning. It's all here. Come here. Um, I'm fearful this winter that if there is a blackout with the electricity and the crisis, I fear that my son will end up bedbound because not only is his bed electric, his pressure air mattress is electric, his hoist is electric. We don't have backup plans. Like, my son's mattress underneath the air mattress is only three mil, uh, about five mils thick. So what I'm hoping to do in the coming days is to talk to my PHN to get a different type of air mattress that will have a thicker mattress so that if there is a blackout, that my, that Michael isn't sunk into the bed. And like, I, I'm just, I'm scared. Very, very scared of this winter. Thanks. Thanks, Orla. Can we play that back to whoever said, ah, sure, the shock of the bills, they, they'll cut their usage anyway. Can we play it back to whoever said that? You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Oh. The Big Drive Home, weekdays from four. On Cork's 96FM. Whether you're leaving work, school or college, make sure you're with me every evening on The Big Drive Home. I've got celebrity chats. Every summer I'd be going to the bog. I can confirm a tea break at the bog is the best. I've got all things Cork, and I mean all things. Speaking of tattoo fails, or you have the crests that the Cork County Council vans have on my shoulders. And I've got the music that you want to hear. Tunes, trumpets, no better feeling. So all we need is you. Join me, Lorraine, every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home on Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, thanks, we Check that out. Thanks, Fergal. Remember the person who messaged us to say that her friend had just gotten a quote for a heat pump system to be installed. €18,500 was the quote. And as she said, not everyone's got that in their back pocket. And remember what Dave Gibbons said in the last hour. That's only the start of it, because you'd end up ripping out loads of your radiators and trying to replace them with bigger ones. And you'd need to rip up your floors for underfloor heating because heat pumps work better that way. Uh, That's more money you'd be spending. The maximum grant for a heat pump, do you know how much it is? Six and a half thousand. So 18,500 was the quote. Uh, the maximum grant for a heat pump is 6,500. This is what they call generous grant aid available. 0818 96 96 96. I'll come back to that and your thoughts welcome throughout the morning on the cost of energy. I'm particularly concerned about calls like I got or messages like I got on the voicemail from Orla. They need electricity all the time. So not only are they afraid of the cost, mortified by the increased cost of it. It's if there's a power cut and it's almost inevitable. It's almost inevitable that there will be power cuts. All the experts, not just politicians are saying that. The experts are telling us we are so tight in terms of our supply that if any generator in the system and you go through a whole winter, there's bound to be one generator will go off and have to be serviced or go down and have to be fixed at some stage. So it's almost inevitable that we're going to get blackouts at some point over the course of the winter. It doesn't bear thinking about. We'll come back to it though. 0818 96 96 96. Now I read a very long Facebook post by Martha Clark, uh, the astrologer. Uh, Martha, I, I didn't know that uh, your daughter had passed away. Yesterday yeah. was her anniversary. Uh, so sorry for your loss. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? And thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I didn't expect your your message yesterday, and I'm really glad I got it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what happened to Ruth? Uh, she. It's you know, it's quite a long, you know, tragic story, and you know, her right to privacy. I think should exist after her death, and it's been quite hard to maintain that. She was 29 when she died. She was in my care in Kinmare, and we'd been estranged for, um, you know, a while since my mum died. Um, She'd had multiple struggles since her early years, and she'd struggled with mental illness. She'd struggled with addictions, which I didn't know about until after she died. Um, But then she had, you know, she was also gay. Then she also had a number of huge losses in her life. Her father and her stepmother both died. I stayed on in America partly because of the housing crisis. Then my mother died uh, literally six weeks before lockdown. Um, so Ruth was, you know, living in my mum's house with her her um, former partner at the time. And, um, you know, I never wanted her to move into that house because I always knew we'd never get her out. And she took her own life 10 days after leaving that house um, in my home in, Ka- in Kenmare. But the reason I thought, you know, I accepted your invitation is, you know, the reasons why people take their own lives are they're far more complicated than any any research will show. You know, I mean, in the last 
two years. My mother died, thankfully, before the lockdown. Uh, but I've lost six people during lockdown and three of those losses were to suicide. Oh my you know, gosh. they weren't COVID deaths. You know, so that's that's partly why I, I accepted your invitation to go on the show. Well, thank you, you so know, much for doing um, I know you weren't going to engage yeah. with anybody and then you... I'm so it, glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote, yeah. You wrote I'm the, so glad I did. You wrote the Facebook. You know, and it's why I wrote the post two days earlier um, so that people would have time to engage and, you know, give me thoughts and comments because, you know, when I was in the States, I mean, she gave me permission to discuss her astrology chart and class and if it helped me with my clients. So, you know, that permission still exists after her death is the way I look at it. Yes. Um, but it was just to highlight, you know, I mean, you know, when people struggle with, you know, mental illness, I mean, the road they're sent down is medication and, and labels being put on them. And Ruth was always better when she had alternative therapies in her life. Like one time when she was really bad, she came down to me in court. McSherry in 2013 and she had polarity therapy and you know a healthy diet and rest and she was a different person after two weeks and you know for about four years after that and from what I could see she was doing really well but it's as I said you know when you go down the road of the doctor and the psychiatrist labeling you you're just given you know medication um, that from, you know, it didn't work. I mean, Ruth had been, you know, under the care of so many therapists and psychiatrists. I mean, when I went through her medical records after her death, they were so harrowing, I couldn't completely go through them. Um, and then there's also the question about, you know, who's who's your next of kin and how does that play out? Um, because I wasn't down as her next of kin. So any previous suicide thoughts or, you know, things that were logged with psychiatrists or GPs, I wasn't made aware of. You know, she only shared that with me in the three weeks before she died and then after she died I discovered that according to a transcript with the therapist in America that she was saying that she'd made two previous attempts and um, you know I mean she was heavily in debt when she died as well and, you know she, she you know she actually had put her father's house up for sale it's not like she, God bless her it's not like she wasn't still trying to deal with all these titanic things that were put on very young shoulders yes yeah you know? sorry it really was was a so you know, I turned it off. Yeah, it was it was just one thing after another. I mean, she was twenty four when her stepmother died, um, twenty six when her father died, and then I came back from America to help her several times, you know, with her his estate and his house and everything. Um, and you know, because of the housing crisis, I had no real choice but to go back to America, which was probably the single most difficult decision I ever made in my life. Um, and then, you know, my mother's house was always her safe haven. It was always her bolt hole. It was always her nana there who, God bless her, you know, didn't really indulge her or spoil her to any great degree. But it was a stable environment in that my mother didn't drink and didn't smoke, for example, yeah. you know. You know, and just even the fallout, you know, there's been a huge fallout um, after her death. And that's taken more out of me than her actual death, to be honest with you, yeah. you know. Your your post refers to lockdown. And I get yeah. an impression, and I stress, Martha, it's an impression that lockdown yeah. might have been the, the turning point for Ruth. Um, to me, the turning point was having to leave my mother's house. I had said to everybody that when the time came to leave my mother's house, she'd have to be carried out of the house in a straitjacket by 10 men. And 10 days after leaving my mother's house, she was wheeled out of my home in a coffin by four men and myself. And it, it, it was more, you know, the, the, the mental challenges were just there and they got worse during lockdown. 
Um, and then the addictions, God bless her, got worse during lockdown and relationship challenges got worse during lockdown. And, you know, coming back to astrology, her moon in Virgo in the sixth house has an absolute need of structure. And this is something as a mother I knew long before I knew anything about astrology. Um, you know, she had the absolute need to be, you know, in school on time, come home on time, do the homework properly, do the homework before you go out to play, have dinner, go to bed at the right time. Um, everything in her life was, you know, very, very structured when, you know, when she was younger and when I was, you know, when she was living with me. And she lost all that structure when she moved back to Cavan. Um but it's 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 more, you know, there there were roads that she could have taken, but she was just so exhausted she couldn't see those roads. She just couldn't, yeah. you know. She still had choices that she could have made. You know, her father's house was up for sale before she died. She was reaching out to up to three therapists online, even she was two weeks so before. Hard. She, she was, was she was trying and trying and trying and trying. She never stopped trying. And when she came back down to me after having moved her stuff out of my mother's house, there was there was nothing left of her. And I know you probably didn't know any of this was going on no, in my no, life when you right. asked no, spoke didn't. to me. No, we did. Oh my God, yeah. we did not, Martha. Yeah. We did not indeed. Yeah. And yeah. Your, yeah. Your, your estrangement from her, I, I guess you there isn't enough words in the English language to express the relief that that ended. There's, there's, I mean, I had those three weeks with her. There was nothing left unsaid, nothing. You know. Now, how do you keep going afterwards, Martha? Like you, you've you've set up a, a writer's bursary in her memory. She loved to write, didn't she? Yeah, she was happiest when she was writing and painting and minding kids. And she had all these people in Dublin who told her she needed to buy a house for four hundred thousand, and she needed to get a proper job. She was happiest when she was writing and painting yeah. and minding kids. She loved minding kids, and she was, you know, she had a lot of stuff published at the time of her death, and she'd also done a lot of journalistic work. You know, she'd interviewed the likes of, you know, Ruby Wax and and Michael Palin, for example, when she was in her early twenties, mm-hmm. studying in Wales. You know, so that's where she was happiest writing and painting and, and a part-time job, you know. And so you set that up could a, have been a, the road. a writing bursary. So I set up the bursary in her memory um, in the school that she went to when we lived in Wales. And I said, because I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about the, going down the road of setting up a charity or anything in her memory. And, you know, I'm just going to do a couple of small things for the moment because I'm still dealing with the logistics of her, sta- her estate, which um, is taking longer than I expected. But the writing bursary was set up to be as bureaucratic free as possible, that the school decides who the winner is and then the winner decides which writing retreat they want to do. Um, and it's in the National Welsh Writing Centre and the first um the first award winner has already been and gone because I was supposed to do the presentation on Zoom and I was going like, I know the schools in Wales close a little bit later, but I thought they'd have got back to me by now about the Zoom presentation. <laughs> and then I got an email from the first winner four weeks later thanking me. And it was lovely. It was just beautiful because Ruth was so thrilled with herself with that week's writing retreat that she did. And she was she was a stunning writer. Um, you know, so I will be bringing a book of her poems out in times to come, um, like all her Google Drive and all her uh, emails were deleted from her laptop 10 days after she died. And, um, you know, that's that's a separate issue because the guard ombudsman are investigating the fact okay. that the guards did nothing about any of this probably, after she died. Probably, probably best to leave that where it is then until, exactly, the, until exactly. we find out. Yeah, the- yeah. What yeah, happened, I mean, I, I have there? I have handwritten copies of you know I have sure, 
Mo- I, I have what I hope is most of her poems in sure, my possession. Sure, sure, you know, yeah, you know, so probably best it's something um, is an investigation. Possibly best to, to leave it there. So exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's how I've I've kept going. I mean, I've had you know, and the thing about a death, whether it's suicide or whether it's not, is I mean, what people tell you is true that when the funeral's over, everybody goes home. Um, and in terms of getting help from people, it did have to be me who reached out to people and you know I didn't go down the road of conventional therapy but I have a spiritual mentor in Australia who's been transformative um, and I've done you know this this might help anybody else with grief it's a it's a, a concept called the grief recovery handbook and it's basically a very different approach to grief um, it's kind of hard to explain online and um, but there are a number of practitioners of that book in Ireland now and it challenges the myths that you never get over grief and it challenges the myths that you stay stuck in your grief and you don't move on and that book really really helped me and the person who I worked with on those exercises I had you know sessions um, every week for a number of months um, and then moving back to Port McSherry you know a place that we spoke about when you last interviewed yeah. me you know a lot of people who I knew in West Cork came back into my life and that that really really made a difference. And Ruth loved you it know, there, didn't she? Yeah, she didn't come down as she came down more often than people realised because you know she wouldn't tend to want to be seen dead with her mother anywhere around Court Mac when she came down. So I used to just say, "Well, I'm out and about doing my things, and if you go to the local cafe, well, here's your your daily coffee and cake allowance." So that's how we used to do it, you know. But she did she did a lot of writing down here. She did in Court Mac, and she did her portfolio for IADT, and we went surfing in Inshadani. She was standing up on a surfboard by the end of lesson one whereas six weeks later I still hadn't got the hang of it you know we went to Debarra's concert so she was you know because you know a couple of years ago before I moved to Italy I tried hard to get her to move to to get out of the whole Dublin Cavan environment and to move to somewhere my Cork maybe where it was you know a thriving artistic area um, and where she could have maybe started a different life around the age of 23 or 24 but it's yeah it's um yeah, so that's, yeah. that's yeah. and as I said, I, I almost didn't turn on my phone yesterday and I'm so glad I did because the messages I got from so many people all over the UK and Ireland were really, really beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because they're, they're all missing her in their own way. They're all hurting in their own way, you know, and for me to have lost two other friends to suicide was just another blow and it's why I just think it's important that it's a topic we talk about and that it's, it's a lot more complex than whether somebody had, you know, mental health challenges. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot more complex than that. And the housing crisis, and the housing crisis was a huge part of it. And, you no, know? and no two stories are the same either, which, which is no, exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. Do you take yeah, any? Exactly. And this may sound like a, a daft question. Forgive me if it is, but can you take any comfort from astrology? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was, it was, I mean, I knew she was going to attempt it when she was down with me, um, but I never thought she would do it the way she did. Um, not but, that, but, you know, it's, it's no, but it, it's, it's, you know, astrology, you know, somebody said to me that throwing yourself into your work after a huge loss is actually really, really helpful. And I've done that as best as I can. But because I have so much of her estate to administer, I haven't been able to do that as much as I would have liked. But 
you know, I'm not saying that for a second that her astrology chart indicated she was going to take her own life, but astrology has given me answers and clues, like in terms of what was going on in her astrology chart and my astrology chart at the time of death. I mean, we have a chart which is called a progress chart, which is the inner planets in your chart. Um, And her progress chart, certain areas of her progress chart were practically exactly on the same angles of my natal chart when she died. Um, you know, if you go into the astrological part of it, because, you know, I had Saturn on my moon when she died and she had Saturn on her moon and the moon is the mother and the moon is home. And it's also your emotional needs. And then Saturn is discipline, routine and structure. And Saturn is also, you know, can be a lonely a transit to be going through and we were both going through that transit and I did talk to her about it and said look it's a particularly dark lonely time for you now but this will be over um, the beginning of November but she couldn't see that far ahead you know she just couldn't it was just you know when she came back down to me it it was it was not even that was, she was beyond completely broken when she came back to me um, but it was also that her body was shutting down from all the medication she'd been on over the years. One of her friends told me that as well, that she'd almost no stomach left because of the amount of medication she'd been on for so oh many God. years. Oh, God. You know? So, such, um, such, but there such, you go. Such a tragic story. Uh, Martha, thank mm-hmm. you so much for taking our call when we reached out to you and, and for coming on with us today. Your 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 Facebook post is is worth a read by anybody who can find it. <laughs> and and um, it's under Martha Clark. Thanks, it won't PJ. Be, it won't be difficult to find. Yeah. And if you actually, I, I think I also put it under Martha Clark Astrology as well because uh, somebody in the UK said they tried to, to find me on Facebook and they couldn't. And I think that's because the original page was set up as Martha Clark Images. That's well but Martha Clark and then Martha Clark Astrology. Yeah, thank you so right. much, PJ, for I, having I, me. I, I really, really appreciate it. And, and, and thank you. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. That's astrologer Martha Clark, the tragedy of her daughter, Ruth Sievers, whose first anniversary was yesterday. Can we just talk? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. And if you're referred to any of the issues uh, we discussed with... Um, with Martha, uh, you can call the Samaritans one one six one two three, Pieta one eight hundred twenty four seven twenty four seven, or your GP if you're in real risk or you feel someone you know or care about is in real risk, immediate risk. You call nine 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 or one one two. Also, World Suicide Prevention Day is this Saturday, and there'll be a lot of talk about the issue in in the media. Uh, right across the weekend. 0818 96 96 96. A reminder to you that Premier League Live is back this Saturday with Trevor Welsh on 96fm.ie. From midday, powered by Talksport, big roundup or big lineup of games this weekend. Full coverage of Fulham against Chelsea at half 12. Liverpool be Wolves at 3 and Man City against Spurs at half past 5. Premier League Live Online brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or at 96FM.ie On Martha, my heart breaks for that lady. I agree about medication. We need to learn so much about mental health. Uh, Up in Newmarket, the rain. Yeah, it's quite... What's it doing? It's raining in the city, but Kevin says it's biblical, serious rain in Newmarket at the moment. There's a lot of standing water. Please put your lights on if you're driving and slow down for pity's sake. Some of those downpours in the last 24, 48 hours have been absolutely biblical. And it's gone from bright and dry and mild to just literally pouring it down, pouring it down. And it doesn't last long. I was coming back from Mallow on Monday night and I had to pull in. I actually had to pull in because I couldn't see where I was going. It was that heavy. And I was gone. It was gone two minutes later. On um, <laughs> yeah, I see where they may stop some public authorities, local authorities, are putting up Christmas lights. We might not get Christmas lights. We'll have, we'll have to check that with the council ASAP. We might not get uh, Christmas lights in the cities this year to save energy and the lights the shops may have to turn off their lights at six one of the nicest parts of Christmas is to come into town at maybe half five six o'clock and grab a bite to eat or a hot drink or something and wander around and gaze in the shop windows at the lovely displays they may not be there this year because people may be told to shut down the lights when they shut down the shop so that'll all be fairly bleak for Christmas, but then Rachel is seeing a bright side, appropriately enough. She says Christmas lights should be a bargain this year. No one will be buying them, so we'll save that money. Uh, There's always a bright side. Yeah, I guess that the shops have tons and tons of Christmas lights in stock since last year. We we know we need two sets of lights uh, for this Christmas, Two, two, two sets of lights that got binned in January. So I'm watching out for them already. They'll be on the shelves fairly soon. But we may not have public Christmas lights. That's a reality this year. We may not have public Christmas lights because we the public buildings may not be allowed to light up and businesses may not be able to afford them. It's, it's looking fairly dark and bleak, all right. Fairly grotty out there now. The rain absolutely chucking it down. Visibility very bad as well. It's foggy and dense and dull and horrible. So it is.
put your lights on and slow down and there will be an awful lot of standing water. As I was coming in this morning, actually, along the Keys, it wasn't raining as I was coming in, but there was an awful lot of standing water down there by the Opera House and, and, and that general general area near Christie Ring Bridge. 0818 96 96 96. Now, one of the best programmes on BBC is their documentary, Saving Lives at Sea. It's into its seventh series. It starts on BBC Two again Thursday at 8. And the volunteer crew from the Kinsale RNLI will feature in this particular series. Felix Milner is a member of their crew. Felix, good morning. Good morning. How are we getting on today? Good, good. Big news. What in what in, in what capacity will you be on the show? So I think we're one of four stories being featured on the show on Thursday coming. Uh, basically they took us in, did an interview with ourselves, the crew, and Pete, the casualty, and went through everything that happened took some footage, took some footage from the actual day with our GoPros when the rescue went ahead and they're going to mash that all together into a bit of a documentary style yeah. episode. This is a particular rescue you did. Remind us of what it was. So yeah, we got a call out to a boat that was coming across from the Caribbean. They'd done 52 days solo sailing at sea and it has to be said, testament to Pete, his seamanship was fantastic. I mean, he came into many problems, kept calm, I mean, he had his engine go, he calmed for about 10 days, broken sails, and he still made it all the way across to Ireland. And it was really, it was a pleasure to help him back in find the, over the final hurdle. So what happened is he was coming across from the Caribbean and just had a bit of problems there. As he got around Kinsale area, it was decided that he needed a bit of a hand just getting in that final leg into Ireland or into Kinsale to uh, look over things. And that's where we came in and helped him. Okay, so describe a call out like that. It's not exactly urgent, but you got to get to him and help him anyway. So describe how a call-out like that works, Felix. So in this case, we had the vessel's details. So we were tracking it throughout the day, keeping on his progress, talking to the Coast Guard, with the helms and the rest of the crew. I was kind of decided then, when he got to around the old head of Kinsale, that's when we'd launch to go out and get him. We got there, we had a chat to Pete. Um, look, he was very fit and able, but he was a bit exhausted and appreciated the extra hand, so... I actually got on the boat with him. We had a chat and we decided the best way to do this was to tow him in. So we took him on the tow, made sure Pete was okay and brought him into Kinsale Harbour. Yeah, he is quite an experienced sailor, so had been very much in command of himself until that time where he was, was it just exhaustion? It was a bit of everything. He had a bit of bad luck with things breaking down on the boat and, you know, anyone after sailing for 52 days is going to be exhausted. So I think he made the right decision. He was a fantastic seaman, but it was decided to look, a bit of a hand would be needed to get in here. So, yeah. fair play to him for making that call. So, how did the BBC pick up on that story? So, the BBC, um, through, I think, Blast Studios, they work with the RNLI, and anytime there is a rescue come in, the RNLI media teams will look through any footage or read the description of what happened, and if they think there's any potential, they'll discuss that amongst themselves, and if it's decided that, yeah, this could make an interesting story to tell or be good for awareness... Then it's decided, look, we're going to come down, we'll do some interviews and we'll uh, run with it. Very good. So it's out this Thursday and you're one of four rescues featured. I think it's one of four anyway, but I could be wrong. But it's uh, this Thursday at 8pm, definitely on BBC Two. Big excitement, I imagine, among the the volunteers. Yeah, there's been a bit of a buzz around the station, so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. 
Talk to me a bit about the the crew. I mean, you know, you're uh, you're all volunteers. You get called out in the middle of the night or the weekends or whatever. No one ever seems to need rescuing when it's nice and bright and sunny. It's always in in bad weather. It seems to be. So, what's it like? You get a call and you just go. Yeah. So we all have pagers, and if the pager goes off and you're available, you'll make your way down to the station, and depending on your role, you'll do something different. So at that time, the boat will be gotten ready, all the charts and communications and stuff will be put on the boat. It's going to be rolled out of the boat hall and attached to, we have a davit. It's like a kind of a crane thing that you can use to pick up the boat and put it in the water. Whilst going on then, some of the boat crew and the helms will be getting changed, being on their dry suits, their helmets, their life jackets, and then off we go. The DLA, or sorry, the Deputy Launching Authority, who kind of authorizes our launch, right. will come down, we'll talk to the crew and tell them what they're going to. And then once we're on the water, we're talking to our case, Valencia Coast Guard on the radio to get all the information then and head out there to do it. And how quickly from the bleep to being in the water? Depends on the day. I think the usual one is about 10 to 12 minutes. Fine. Fine. You, are you a long time involved, Felix? Are you... I know light, light yeah. boat volunteers tend to be... It tends to be something your family does. That's your own background. So my background is I used to work in outdoor education as a kid. And then when I moved to Kinsale, I wanted to do something to maybe help out and give back. And it was suggested to me that I joined the lifeboats. And that was about probably six years ago now. Yeah. So I joined up at 17 and I'm yeah, I just turned 23 now. So about six years. Good man. Good man. Well, fantastic to have young people getting into it. And of course it is all, and we'll see the, the fundraisers out from time to time. It is all funded by fundraising it's it's one of those charities that gets very little support it just needs to be supported whenever you see them shaking the box you never know when it could be you or someone belong to you that will need a lifeboat Felix Milner from Kinsale RNLI he's a crew member on the lifeboat that's tomorrow night Thursday Saving Lives at Sea Season 7 on BBC 2 if you can get the BBC iPlayer it'll be on that too um, but I can't get the. I think most people can't get the BBC iPlayer. You need to set up things like VPNs and odd sorts of things like that. But I can't get the iPlayer. Some people can. So tomorrow night, BBC Two at eight o'clock. If you can set it, to, is it eight o'clock? It is eight o'clock. Set it to record if you have such equipment in the house. Uh, James says there is a car broken down at Bandon Roundabout. I presume that's the Bandon Road Roundabout. And and keep an eye to it. That rain coming down heavy now all across the city. Visibility bad. A lot of standing water. So please be careful. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with the latest in Cork Entertainment. Clonakilty International Guitar Festival is turning 18 this year as it returns to West Cork on the 9th to 18th of September. Some of the first round of artists coming to Clon in September include Andy Irvine, Marissa Anderson, John Spillane and Susan O'Neill. Access all areas. Sleeping Beauty comes to Cork Opera House this December as Cork's biggest panto returns for the Christmas season. Tickets are on sale now from the Opera House box office and from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. If you have a gig, exhibition or any entertainment news coming up in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. We're all about lead, lead, you know, reducing our waste, 
making as much effort as we can to be zero waste, uh, zero waste events. I don't know if you saw, you can't have missed the pictures at the end of Electric Picnic and the state of the place with the abandoned tents and plastic and junk that was there. There's a hundred people working to clean all that stuff up. But what about a zero waste wedding? How would you do that? Orla McAndrew, how on earth would you do zero waste wedding? Because you have a new concept for weddings. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Great. So this this is it's it's not an easy task, but it's something I've been working on for the last 18 months. And I'm really, really passionate about it. Um, so how you would do it is you would get some amazing suppliers on board who agree to give you their surplus. And then what I'm going to do is take that and turn it into something absolutely incredible for couples who are daring enough to trust in my skill and expertise to deliver something absolutely exquisite from stuff that might otherwise end up in la- landfill. Right. So I'm thinking the end of any given wedding. So the the meal is over and everyone's danced their hearts out and they've all gone home. I can't imagine the size of the food bag from all the scraped plates and all that. Are you saying you can eliminate that, Orla? So firstly, there I operate so sustainably anyway, and I and I'm really into portion control. And actually, some of my chefs get a fright when they're with me because it's like Robin Peter to pay Paul to make sure that we have enough. But <laughs> we've never got it wrong yet. And I can tell you that there's less than a kilo of waste from any of my weddings, and that's a fact. There's Jeez, nothing okay. scraped because the the food is so exquisite that nobody's leaving anything behind. Firstly, that's the truth, <laughs> and sec and secondly, it's portioned so perfectly. Because I really, I'm so passionate about the the necessity to reduce our food waste and the fact that there's absolutely no need for it and you can have a perfectly beautiful meal without having excess. So if someone comes to you and says, right, Orla, I'm getting married, uh, I have 100 people uh, to feed and water and entertain, mm-hmm. and I like the idea of zero waste, where do you start? So it's it's such a brand new concept. It's not just about that there will be nothing in the bag at the end of it. it. What I'm offering to people is the chance to go blindly into something that's going to be totally magical. So they won't know what's on the menu because I won't know what's on the menu because I'm going to be relying entirely on my suppliers on the week of to give me what they have in excess or surplus. And then I use my creativity to come up with a completely unique bespoke menu to share with those guys and, and their guests. And it's just, there's nothing like it. Hold on now. When I got married, <laughs> when I got married, which is a while ago now, I admit, but when I got married, one of the most important meetings we had, I, we got married in June. One of the most important meetings we had, I'd say it must have been March or early May or early April to decide on the menu. You won't be having that meeting? So we will have a meeting and we'll have a tasting um, and that will be as an example and a sample of what I'm capable of. But it won't actually be guaranteed to be what you're going to eat on the day. But my hope is that people know who I am. They know what I'm about. They know that I'm five star all the way. And so they are trusting in me to deliver something unbelievable. So it's a bit of a journey that will be going on. But like how amazing to do something so different and give your guests something to talk about that's really putting food waste and sustainability on the table. Yeah, Because I guess if we talk about food waste for a second, Orla, and since we got the food bins and the little 
green biodegradable bags that go into them, you only it's only mm-hmm. then you realise how much we actually throw out in terms of Yes. And that's even that's even in terms of, you know, waste peels and things that are left over when you're prepping. It's about kind of rethinking what we're doing with food and making the maximum use out of it. So like, for example, my I have a compost bin, but very little goes into that. And when I use it then to continue growing other stuff. But I'm trying to make use of all the skins and, you know, anything at all and thinking about in just a unique way and making ferments and pickles and vinegars and just elongating the life of the food so that less of it is ending up in landfill. I see. And the food that you will use to create the wedding menus, you say, is rescued surplus. What's rescued surplus? So just uh, this is that's a great question. And it's something I want to be really clear about with any couples who are thinking about this or are interested. It is perfectly perfect food. It's not out of date. It's not past its sell by date. It's the best of the best. But it might. it's coming from like Irish growers, Irish fishers, Irish butchers who may just have over purchased and can't sell it in time or may have overfished or over harvested. Um, And they've agreed. I've got fantastic relationships with them and they've agreed that when I ask them, they'll pass that on to me and that I'll be able to create something magical out of it. Right. So you take and you're working, I think, with the Cork Rooftop Farm here in the city, which is absolutely brilliant concept. Yes, and sustainable oh, seafood. So effectively what you'd be saying, if you want to put, and let us just say, if you want to put an old favourite on a menu, prawn cocktail, you'll be looking for prawns that have come from someone's excess, correct? Exactly. I see. Exactly. And so what I'm guaranteeing is that 80% of my zero waste menu will be made up from surplus. And then there might be that, that I have to supplement it with some dry store goods or, you know, lentils or pickles that I've already had that will also be made from surplus. So I'll be able to pull and, and you know, manoeuvre with little bits from, from my dry stores, but 80% of what I'll be producing will be coming from food that might otherwise end up in landfill. And you say that one of your zero waste weddings would cut... The average from a regular wedding is 225 kilos of waste food, and you'll cut that to zero. So... So what, 225 kilos of food would be the average amount of food for an, a, a standard wedding of 150. So by replacing that with surplus, we're saving 225 kilos of food from potentially ending up. Yeah. Ah, that's where it is. It's, 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 it's yeah. a fascinating concept. So it's, such a, it's a no-brainer, you, isn't you, it? You are kind of asking. <laughs> Thank and you. Look, you. I'm because, very, very excited about it. Because you have such a good reputation, and um, people will 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 do this with you, but you are kind of asking people to place their trust in you and say, right, look, I'll do a taster with you. Here's what I can do. Here's what I do it from. But I, in the week before your wedding, I'll be gathering my supplies. Mm-hmm. So literally, you won't know the, the bride and groom won't know what they're having until what the day before. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and I won't either. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's. It's it's fun. <laughs> it's joyful. It's an experience. It's it's not probably not for the faint hearted, but like like you say, I suppose this was the perfect time for me to launch it because I know that my reputation precedes me now. I know that people know that I am 
delivering the best of the best of the best all the time. And that I, I've obviously I won the Creative Professional um, Businesswoman of the Year awards recently, and I'm really putting that to the test now with this. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's. I think if people know me and they know what I'm about, they know that they're, they're not taking that much of a risk. Yeah, it sounds it's it's absolutely. Fascinating concept. Do you know what just occurred to me as we were talking, Orla? You and I spoke, I think, in the very early days of lockdown. And we sure you did. were distraught mm-hmm. at how your business was falling <laughs> apart. I think it's fantastic to see that, you know, people who were in such trouble two and a half years ago have come up with this marvellous concept. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, PJ. Well done. Orla Have a great morning. Is there a website people can find out more or do they just look for you? There sure is. There's um, www.omcatering.ie and I'm very, very active on my Instagram, which is Orla McAndrew Food. All right. Great idea. I'd love to talk to someone who's actually had one of these weddings after they've had it about how it should go. So maybe that's the next chapter in telling that story. Orla McAndrew. Zero waste weddings. You'll find out what you're having when she does, which is cool. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96fm. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six is the number. Text to WhatsApp is oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Your email is opinion at ninety six fm dot ie. And if you listen to us out of hours, or to any of our podcasts, and we do about thirty podcasts in the course of a week, including the full show every day. Or if you listen to us overnight, when we do a shortened version of the show between three and five a.m., you can pick that up all over the world depending on your time zone any time out of hours that you want to contact us evenings, weekends, you name it opinion at 96event.ie is the best way to go and we do, as I said the bones of 30 podcasts now per week and just go to wherever you subscribe and tick on our podcast logo and subscribe and you'll get them all as we publish them 0818 96 96 96 something came up on my Facebook memory in the last couple of days, a video of me down outside the old Debenhams shop meeting the, the Debenhams strikers uh, from, I don't know whether it was day 100 or day 150 or day wherever it was, of their standing uh, in protest outside the store. And now I hear that, Valerie, you're, are you calling Valerie Conlon and your former colleagues to come together for a social night? Good morning. Well, I suppose, well, yes, definitely. And any people that were supporting us at the time, they're more than um, welcome down to the Metropole on Friday night at seven o'clock. It's more like um, a chat. So Fergal, the guy that done the book, he'll be there and he'll be telling about the book and how he started it and how he met people and why he wrote the book. And then myself and Madeline will be uh, having a chat and two of our supporters, um, Thomas Gould and Mick, will be also talking and then just ask if people want to ask questions or if people want to talk about it, you know, mm. it's yeah, just an informal chat. Yeah. 
Have you lost touch a bit since it all ended? Well, I suppose the pickapels haven't because we would have, or I would still have the WhatsApp group. Yeah. So we still kind of, we, you know, dip into that every so often. But I suppose the others really that uh, wouldn't have been on the group, we haven't seen them. People have started going back to work and people have had children. Yeah. You know, so everybody, everybody has busy lives as well at the moment, you know. Mm. Did people who were eligible to go back to work or felt like going back to work, have they gotten jobs, Val? Um, anybody that wanted to go back to work have gotten jobs, yes, yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. That's great to hear. And tell me, did you get sorted out in the end? So still ongoing. Unfortunately, I suppose there wasn't an awful lot um, applied for it. There was a lot of people that didn't um, mm. apply for the three million. So uh, actually, I was only just chatting to Fiona there about it. So like, they have started paying out the money now and they've been paying it out faster than what they were at the beginning. Good. So at least that's a plus for people because they have to pay it out of their own pocket. Mm. You know, if they're getting computers and any equipment like that. So like they were waiting a month, two months, three months at some people. So like it was a long time for people to have to wait for it. But they're they're definitely doing it faster now. All right, good. Well, you know? this Friday at seven at the Metropole, anyone ex Debenhams welcome and anyone who supported them welcome a bit of an evening. And when is the documentary due out, Valerie? So the know? documentary would probably be 2023. I know they're at the middle of they're at it at the moment. They're cutting it down to 90 minutes because they want to get some of it ready for the Dublin Film Festival. Uh, Paul Linehan from Frank and Waters has actually done the, mu- the background music for it, Down Memory Lane it's called. So um, so it's nice that they're doing it. It's a cork band that they've uh, gotten done to Absolutely. do it. It's great, Absolutely. you know. No. So, yeah, so it's all in motion at the great. moment now. Very busy times. Great. We look forward to it and we'll talk again, uh, I've no doubt, Valerie Conlon, uh, formerly of Debenhams, Friday the 9th, this Friday at the Metropole for ex-Debenhams workers, their families, their friends, their supporters coming together just to chat. 0818969696, speaking of retail... Paul Colgan, who's the economics guy on Virgin Media, has just broken a story. Penny's owner, Associated British Foods, ABF, they've been put on what's called negative catalyst watch by analysts at J.B. Morgan. No, I don't know what that means either, but it's not good. It's not good. They've been put on negative catalyst watch. And J.P. Morgan saying a big decline in British consumer spending is expected because the energy crisis has only just begun and Penny's share price or the ABF share price is down 11% in the past month and the same squeeze coming at Marks and Spencer's. Things not good with British retail and of course Penny's as Irish and traditional and Cork as it is Penny's is just the Irish wing of a massive international company called Primark it's called Primark everywhere else in the world, although you'll never see an Irishman calling it Primark or an Irish, ah, look at the pennies! Like we found one in Spain when we were away, we found a penny, pennies in Tenerife. Pennies, huh? But they're in trouble, according to this from Paul Colgan. A negative catalyst watch. No, as I said, I don't know what that means either, but it's not good. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Robert Foray, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. Lovely to speak with you. I watched a video of you this morning using an iPad in the most unique way. Uh, it must be very difficult when, a, when a, an artist loses his sight, and that's why you use the iPad, isn't it? 
That's right. Um, I, I have a retinal degenerative disease called retinitis pigmentosa, which means that over time your retinas deteriorate. So my eyesight gradually got worse and worse. Um, and I couldn't really do art anymore because I couldn't see the page in front of me or the, or the, the canvas. So I went to Australia and visited cousins uh, a couple of years back. And coming back, I decided they they showed me how um, my little baby cousin was doing art on an iPad using a, a, a touch sensitive stylus, like called an eye pencil, I think it's called. And um, so I went home and got this equipment and to see if I could actually do art on it. And and great success, I could, because the thing is, is that even though my retinas have degenerated so badly over time. Mm. I'm now able to actually zoom in and uh, magnify the image to the point that I can actually see what I'm doing. Right. I mean, of course, it's got a backlight on it, so it makes it brighter. And one of the things with RP or, you know, retinitis pigmentosa is that it's very much dependent on how bright the light is. You know, if it's dark, you you can't see anything. And if there's very bright light, you can see a little bit sort of thing. Right, right. So so what, like, put it plain and simple Robert like what can you see when you look around you I'm sitting here I can see four or five screens I can see the room I can see every corner of the room as I do my work what can you see as you sit where you are well when I'm sitting here it's like I I, I don't know if listeners have seen on TV when they pixelate an image on on, on a, a TV yeah. screen to, to hide the identity of somebody and and so I don't have a, a problem with with um, sort of blurring it, it's more like pixelation so that things lose their definition and when i look around i can see something is there but i can't see the actual detail of it so right. unless i move very close up so a face needs to be a foot away from me before i can recognize it and your depth perception and all that is all gone which makes it very difficult for an artist <laughs> yeah it does it, it really does so um i I, I sort of gave up on the idea of art initially as my eyesight got worse and worse. But after discovering this new way of doing art, it's called digital art, I'm using a software called Procreate, right. um, which is which is actually designed for artists. I, I was amazed to see how well I could actually con- continue doing art. And so yeah. I... I've I've just um I've just kept going with it. Um, so how how does it work? Th- you use the iPad and the touch pencil and you create your art on the iPad up close where you can see what you're doing. And is that well, then you, you, converted to canvas or what happens? Yes, it, you draw straight onto the iPad <clears throat> and you can magnify it as much as you want. And then when you've finished the painting um, you then send the, um, a digital a digital document to a printer, a special specialized printer who does um, art printing, and they then use. Um, I have I have a, a, an art mentor who owns such a machine, and has eleven inks in it, and it, and um, which are very uh, d- uh, very high grade inks and last for two hundred years into the future, sort of thing, and then um, the the. Painting is then transferred onto photographic plates, which are which then which then come out in the, in the size required. So it's it, but it, it's quite a difficult thing because transferring from an electronic document onto a printer is, is 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 not as easy as it sounds because you actually have to be there to make sure that it 
it's it, it's 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 actually coming out in the way you intended. So, um, my art mentor uh, Stephen Bean, who's a photojournalist, um, he he's he supports me in 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 printing and my my images for you know mm. for framing and so forth. Now, the change in how you work has been made into a film, and that film will be premiered at Indie Cork this year. Yes, yes. It focuses really on on um, disability in a way, because um, the, the the message is is that disability is partly an impairment. Yes, I am um, blind, or or partially sighted with very little residual vision. However, the the thing that really disables me is the environment and my lack of access to to resources because of the way we imagine our world, like the way, for example, the civic environment is is is, is constructed and designed and planned, often only includes two thirds of the population who aren't um, impaired in some way, and um, so 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 disability to me really lies more in the environment than the actual impairment that I have. So, so this is a, this is a sort of a proof of this point because as soon as I had the tools to actually um, uh, access art, then I could continue to do art. I, I, I wasn't disabled anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm no longer disabled in the area of art until yes, the impairment so. gets so bad so that, that I might have to change. And at the moment I'm, looking at starting um, doing ceramics as well in case my eyesight deteriorates completely. So I'm very excited about the future and my, <laughs> my art. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's an incredible pivot from using paint and things like that to using an iPad and having this magnificent technology to hand. The film is called Robert Fury Artist and it'll be shown at uh, Indie Cork at the gate in October. Robert, good speaking with you and thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line. Technology has literally saved his art. Yes, great story. 0818 96 96 96. Natalie was on. She said, I wonder, could you ask your listeners for help? Would anyone know where I could purchase a C pen? It's from a 10-year-old who has autism, dyslexia and dyscalculia and learning difficulties. I've looked online, they're €370, but I was hoping someone might have a second-hand one I could buy as I can't afford the new one. I'm a single parent. My finances aren't that great. I've also signed him up for 12 weeks dyslexia tutoring to help him. I would spend what I have to help him and make him read. I hope someone could come to my aid. Thank you for that. And on the lights and the possibility there might not be Christmas lights in some places, Anne in Kinsale is wondering, could the councils use solar lights? Possibly, Anne, but at that time of the year, uh, you won't get a whole pile of energy out of the, out of the sun, uh, unfortunately. But good thought, good thought process. I like the thought. 0818-969696. We got a couple of messages about electricity and we've got one about 
con- trying to contact the revenue commissioners. All of those and more to fit in before 12. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With Tusla Fostering. Now seeking foster carers for short and long-term emergency and respite fostering in Cork. See fostering.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Joy O'Leary joins me. Hi, Joy. She talked to me about Hi, hello. Cork Clothes Swap, um, which seems to require no explanation at all. So what is it and where are you going to do it? Yeah, so it exactly. It says it is what it says on the tin. We organize clothes swaps. So um, we do this twice a month. We've been doing it for a year. Um, and people are just invited to come along, bring a few pieces of clothing, five items maximum and um, they can give it to us and then other people have brought, have been bringing clothes throughout the year and you can go and you can just take something you like so we're you know facilitating this swap and we're like keeping all the clothes and so there's a collection of clothes that you can go through and take it's a completely free thing um, so it's kind of just a way for us to switch up our wardrobes and not having to go and buy something new yeah. from a shop, you know. Because it's, it's um, all down to slowing down the turnover of our wardrobes rather than filling them with exactly. new fast stuff. We find that, something else that was loved before uh, and wear that. Exactly. I mean, it's unrealistic for us to say, okay, I'm buying this jumper. I'm not going to wear this for the next like 40 years. You know, our tastes are changing and that's just the reality of you know the trends and how we are as like um consumers and stuff you know we want to change our clothes so having a clothes swap is a way to you know provide an option that's an alternative to shopping when you want to switch up your wardrobe because people are bringing you know clothes that they might have worn once or twice and they just don't feel like wearing that anymore and instead of sending that out into the ether of donations which is a whole complicated topic you know, we're keeping it local and someone else can get what you don't really feel like wearing anymore and you can get something else, you know. So where do you come together? Where do you have your sessions? Yeah, so we're um, we're around the marina. We have two locations. Um, One of them, it's this place called Rebel Reads Bookshop. It's kind of like a community space slash bookshop and it's in the uh, marina commercial park okay. which is next to the marina market okay. um, and our second place is the black market which is near Parky Cueve. Sure yeah at the, the Rebel Reed is that at the back of the marina market there by the, where the food court is is it at the back of the food court? Yeah, yeah. it's actually not the marina market at all uh, it's the commercial park so it's like a uh, next to it it's okay. separate kind of oh, like gotcha. a space okay. yeah. and, it's well, and like everything else it's probably well signposted down there that's great and you're there tonight I think from 7 to 8 and then Saturday you're over at the black market exactly yeah right. and we do this every month we all you know on the first Wednesday of every month we're in the uh, Rebel Reads on the second Saturday we're at the black market and the black market it's a sustainable fashion fair so there's going to be vintage sellers and you know people talking about sustainability we have a stall a stand um, like a fixing fashion repair cafe okay. um, stand so we're kind of trying to promote you know sustainable fashion 
okay. options and choices. Uh, you ask that people, I think uh, it, it, it's funny that you should even have to ask that people would wash their clothes first. Like, I mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, we we're adamant about that because, you know, there might be someone who might not think about it. So we don't want anyone coming with clothes that haven't been, you know, washed before you bring them. Uh, we, we, ex- we look at everything before we add it. So, you know, we try to keep things nice and clean. Sure. Yeah. And it's not all women's clothes. You have men's clothes too. Yeah, we have men's clothes as well. Um, so we definitely think to the guys, come along. It's not a women's event. It's for all, you know, all clothes. Um, and we have men's clothes there and yeah. guys are coming as well. Do you think that with the whole cost of living and the way it's headed, that people are go- more people are going to turn to swapping clothes and, you know, wearing something that someone else might yeah. have loved before? Yeah, like it's something that we have been thinking about throughout the year. You know, you could kind of see that's where the economy was going. And, you know, buying new clothes has a huge environmental impact. And we're now in a place where, you know, people's um, spending money is is getting smaller. So um, in a way, that's a it's a positive in a in a not a good way because maybe it's going to force us to rethink, you know, just buying new things all the time. So we're trying to create a an outlet for people, you know, to literally get something new to wear and spend nothing. Um, so, you know, clothes swaps have popped up all around the country and all over the world, and it's really easy to organize a clothes swap. So I, th- I hope it's the way we're going, um, and especially, yeah, with people's tighter budgets, um, maybe we kind of do this more. Okay. All right. Listen, good to talk to you. Joy, Joy O'Leary from Clothes Swap. Cork, or as they have it on Facebook, it's Cork Clothes Swap. Cork Clothes Swap. And they're at the book Rebel Reads Cork tonight, and then over at the Black Market on Saturday from 12 till 3. Thank you, Joy. 0818 96 96 96. Now, this came in this morning. I was wondering, could you bring it up on your show about not being able to contact revenue? They haven't returned to the office since covid they're only available on the phone from nine till half one. And even at that, you can't get them on the phone. They want everything done online now with a stupid system that rarely works. I've been trying to log onto my account through ROS.ie, R-O-S. It asked me for a verification code that's supposed to be sent to your mobile. That only lasts five minutes. I've been trying to log in now for two days and no code came when I was trying to log in. That was about three-ish on both days. Then I get the verification code half nine at night. You're ringing them then and there's no answer. Phone line cuts off. So how on earth can you contact revenue if you can't even get into the online system? There must be other people with this problem. So-called easy self-service that you can't even log into. You know what? I had occasion to check something on my revenue ROS.ie recently and I did have that problem. I had to try twice uh, to get the code to my phone. First time it never came through and then it locked me out because I didn't put it in. It never came through. So I tried again and I got it the second time. So there. But anybody else having trouble uh, contacting Revenue? 0818 96 96 96. We also got an email from a listener uh, with regard to the energy crisis, the electricity crisis and the he politely calls the white or the silver-haired brigade 
It's quite a long one. I'll get to it before we finish, though. Forgot to mention this earlier this morning, but good to see this news uh, from our friends at Fuss March. On their Facebook page, Rebecca uh, put up um, a post on Facebook uh, from the Fuss March people to say that they have received an invitation to meet the Taoiseach. At long, long last, they've received an invitation to meet the Taoiseach. They say one of the top issues on the agenda will be the aid and equipment crisis. That's good to see. We wonder when that particular meeting will take place, but good to see it. 0818 96 96 96. I, will I read that email about the electricity? Oh, well, I, I'll go to Sandra. All right. Sandra Schmid joins me. Harry Henry's Therapeutic Riding and Care Farm. I love the name, Harry Henry. Sandra, good morning. Hello, good morning, and thanks for having us. Brilliant. This is a therapy farm. What's a therapy farm? Well, um, just to say what you said about Harry Henry Care Farm, just to uh, explain to people, because they might agree with you and say, well, that's an interesting name, isn't it, for Care Farm. Harry Henry is a very hairy horse, and he is co-founder of my care farm. He was the very first work partner I had on my team. He uh, has, since 2013, when we got started, carried many, many, many children and adults with or without special needs um, around the paddock and around the land uh, for their uh, emotional and mental and physical benefits. So he's a very important ingredient in our care farm. well, care farming is, there's all sorts of words out there, isn't there? Social farming, care farming, therapy, this and that. So care farming in particular is where we engage children and adults in farming activities, not so much uh, about getting the, the the job done or getting it done fast or cheaply or whatever. It's more uh, to get people involved in farming for their own personal benefit. So we'd be looking at what are their particular needs, what are their goals, um, what do they require maybe to um, uh, to improve their m- mental well-being, their physical fitness, and then we choose different tasks to help them with that around the farm. Mm. You have sheep and donkeys and rabbits and dogs and hens and ducks and geese and loads more besides. Yes, loads more. <laughs> yes. Seems to grow every week. There's a new animal turning up. So we are, but just saying that, you know, I've been approached by people and they say, oh, would you rescue this and that and the other animal? So uh, there's other places for that. We are not a animal rescue center that shares the benefits of animals with people Um, because what we do requires very special animals they have to be trained and they have to well most importantly they have to be suited for the job they uh, are asked to do so they have to be they have to like social contact with people Um, and there's actually you know, the more I work with animals, it's fascinating, really, because there's so many different personalities in animals. And some animals just don't have it in them to want to help people. It's, yeah. it's just like people. You know, not all of us want to be in a caring profession. Sure. It, it, and it, it... Yeah. So what does, what does Henry do, say, when he meets a, a child? Oh, Henry. Well, um, 
he just his the way he looks is a good starter because he's a lovely hairy traditional cob so he's friendly looking just because he has lots of hair he's a long mane he has a friendly face he has a moustache which uh, makes a lot of people smile they've never heard off a horse with a moustache so um so he just stands calmly and he he's just ready to meet people whenever they are ready they might be excited they might be a bit timid and he impresses them with his calm and his friendliness and he can just stand tied up for hours being brushed and hairstyled um and then uh Usually when it's a therapeutic riding lesson, we put the tack on and so that's a bridle and uh, um, 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 saddle pad and mm. handles for the rider to, to hold on to and then he would proceed to the riding arena and stand still again for the child or adult to get on and then walk calmly around the arena. And that's what he can do for many hours on end. He, yeah. it, he's really suited to what he does because he does it really well and calmly and doesn't get bored or annoyed. And the great benefit is in the way he moves because he has such a gait that is very rhythmical and very even yeah. uh, that that moves the body of the rider, which brings great benefits to them yes. uh, on many levels. Yes, yes. We've, there's, 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 horses are remarkable in, in the way that they can almost bond mentally, as it were, with someone like a kid with additional needs, kid with autism, things like that. It's, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. HarryHenry.com is your website. Whereabouts are you based, Sandra? Oh, we are in West Cork, uh, very near to Bantry Town, just five kilometres from Bantry Town. So we'd we'll be around about an hour from Cork City. Okay. So okay. not too far away. Now, what we a great thing that happened to us this year is that we finished uh, a barn. We were fundraising for years and planning and everything, and we just had our big grand opening last week. Uh, for a small indoor space where people can engage with the animals out of the rain, out of the wind, even when it gets dusky, when it's a dull day, because that was a big disadvantage before that we were all outdoors, which is great. And we promote that. We want to bring people outdoors. But, you know, there's nothing much therapeutic being in. Uh, in very strong wind, sideways oh, oh, rain. No, you know? the, the, <laughs> the, wet and, the wet and the cold is not therapeutic at all. Sandra, thank you for that and good luck and continued success with Harry Henry Therapeutic Riding and Care Farm. You'll find them on a simple uh, web address, harryhenry.com. harryhenry.com, all the info is there. Thank you, Sandra. They're down uh, beyond Bantry, a few kilometres Beyond Bantry, 0818 96 96 96. Now, there's a bit of this, a bit of content in this, so just bear with me. So this came in from Martin. And he said, during the pandemic, the government gave everyone a lift in monetary terms. Even the long-term social welfare recipients got a weekly rise from 180 to 350, along with any other benefits available. As old-age pensioners, we were expected to live on 202 per week. Uh, only getting what was allowed. In the name of God, how can we be expected to survive now? The budget would need to give us a decent pension going forward. 
they can stick their five a week as they normally give wherever it wants to go. We need a basic payment of at least 300 a week to give us any chance of survival. Please remember, we have worked all our lives putting into the kitty for well over 50 years. Is this government trying to ethically cleanse us through starvation and cold? Because, you know, it certainly seems that way. I don't mean to be coy, but just think of the amount of money the government wastes every year that could easily shunt up our pensions. It cost us more to live during the pandemic. We had to get people to bring messages to us, for example. And being Irish, we always reward people for their help. And you couldn't just give them a fiver. That's a bit of an insult, even though they didn't want to take it anyway. We're now heading into a winter of deprivation with oil too expensive, electricity too expensive and any other kind of fuel way too expensive for heating our homes. We'll need to start collecting the cowpats like we did many years ago and use them for fuel. What has our country become? Hang on, I'll answer that. We've become a nation of do-gooders to the outside world, supporting every difficulty in another country. I always heard, though, that charity begins at home. But you know what? Not in Ireland. I do feel extremely sorry for all that's happening in the world, from Afghanistan to Ukraine. We made a donation of half a million euro to support the flood relief. I ask, where did this money come from? I'm not denying it to the people who need it. We've supported the Ukrainian people from early on in the war, bringing them into Ireland, and that's okay, giving them money, providing free accommodation and meals. This is more than the pensioners get. I'm not advocating we don't support these people. I'm just saying what did the pensioners of Ireland do wrong over the years in that we have to live well below the breadline while money is squandered by our government over many decades. We're not asking for it. Ch- we're just asking for a chance to live and not scrape to try to make ends meet, which never really happens. Something else just suffers and then it becomes another bill that we can't pay. Please, PJ, I ask you to make our plight known to the wider public. Everyone had or still has elderly parents or parent. While we give so many politicians, 168 I think, over 100,000 euro a year, why so many? Then they don't do anything except set themselves up as landlords. Another 60 Shannon members who just read out figures researched by students at no cost. Figures that most people don't even understand. We'll shortly be paying ministers 200,000 a year, I ask you. Looking forward to your support in this matter before it's too late to adjust the fiver in the budget, which is possibly all we'll get. Do they want us to die this winter from cold and starvation? You really would have to wonder. And that came in from Martin O'Keefe. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Just going back to the appearance by the Kinsale Lifeboat people in that BBC documentary programme, which is tomorrow night. Uh, Tom reminds us, die you may, go you must, is the motto of the RNLI. That's true. Uh, A great bunch of people there. Absolutely marvellous. You never realise just how vital they are until you actually need them. Thank you, Tom. 0818 96 96 96. Now, other voices. If I mentioned other voices to you and Dingle, the name that jumps into my head straight away is Amy Winehouse. There is a video 
You'll find it, I think, on YouTube, and there was a program made about it of this Other Voices Festival in Dingle a number of years ago where Amy just turned up and she was at the height of her vocal powers and she was just astonishing in a small place in Dingle in the Other Voices Festival. It's been going on for the bones of 20 years. Other Voices is now coming to Cork and I believe UCC will be the base. Philip King is the organiser and founder. Philip, good morning. Good morning, and how are you this morning? Nice and wet in UCC. It uh, brings me back to my student days all those years ago, but you know, I heard you mentioning saturated. I heard you mentioning Amy Winehouse, and that was truly a remarkable evening when she came to Dingle all those years ago. And she was I would say one of the greatest singers I have ever heard. She inhabits a song like nobody else. And it was one of those special moments. And the Times of London voted it one of the top 10 gigs of all time. It was just one of those remarkable things. And before, I suppose, she, 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 she got into trouble, if you like, yes. um, in, her, in, in her life. She was vivacious and wonderful and bright and hugely knowledgeable about music. And it was just... I, I, I prefer to remember her that way when yes. she hopped out of the van with her little beehive hairdo and her drainpipe jeans and sort of said, can I get a packet of crisps? Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember and, when she died, someone found the video of that and it, yes. she was beyond brilliant that night. It was it, it was remarkable, and the BBC took it for the BBC's Arena flagship arts program called "The Day That Amy Came to Dingle," and we made a film of that performance, and that went all around the world. And every, on her anniversary every year, you know, that's taken out of the box, and people play it all over the world. And that's what happens at Other Voices. Other Voices began twenty years ago, yeah. and it set out. And its mission statement was to celebrate what's about to happen. So as through the years, people like Hosier and Conor O'Brien from Villagers and Dermot Kennedy and those sorts of folks arrive in Dingle and, you know, do a gig. And sometimes people don't know who they are, but little by little, they come on the radar and have taken our music and the music that they began playing in Dingle all around the world. And that's why it's so wonderful for me to be back in Cork. Uh, the president of UCC, John O'Halloran, and invited me and other voices to come onto the campus. And we're going to be here on the 28th and the 29th of uh, this month. And on the 29th of this month, we will stream live from the Honan Chapel, from the Aula Maxima, and from the Glucksmann Gallery Crikey. to the world. Wow. And so the, the thing will be visible and audible worldwide. It will make the campus and Cork City visible and audible worldwide. And during lockdown, we did um, 19 other Voices Courage events. Like we, we, we took Denise Chyla and brought her, when she was just beginning her career really, into the National Gallery of Ireland and mm. streamed live from there. And we had Fontaine's DC in Kilmainham in, in, in the jail there. And it was absolutely fantastic. Just so come, to come back to the campus in Cork 
I had my grounding in music in Cork. I think it's one of the most musical cities in the world. The diversity of music that's here is brilliant. Um, the notes of music that fell into my ear all of those years ago in UCC um, set me off on my own musical expedition, which has taken me all over the world, yeah. either playing music or documenting music or capturing music wherever I go. And it's a huge delight and an honour to be back here in UCC, who are foregrounding the importance of arts and music as part of a fully rounded education. So mm. it's it's it just as a Cork fella coming home, it's a delight. It could it couldn't be better. The names that trip off the tongue over the years of other voices like Amy, Dermot Kennedy, Fontaine's, like you said, it prompts me to ask: Are you even allowed to tell me who's going to be playing at UCC? <laughs> Well, Soak will be playing at UCC and Susan O'Neill will be here and Kian Croix will be coming back to Cork yeah. to, to play here as well and Yankee will be playing here. So it's, um, it's a fantastic lineup. We will be working with Kathleen Nickowen, who's the artist in residence here and a team of traditional musicians will be playing and we're really looking forward to that. And Jess Smith, otherwise known as Big Pig, B-I-I-G, P-I-I-G will be coming as well and they'll all be coming from um, from the Aula Maxima. So there's a little list and there might be a surprise or two that we'll be adding as well. You never know. It wouldn't but be the festival are, without it, Philip, would it, in fairness? No, no. I mean, last year, I have to say, when Sam Fender walked into the church in Dingle, we had worked with him three years ago in Ballina or four years ago in Ballina and he had gone from being an aspirational artist to being somebody who had just filled, you know, two football stadiums in, in the UK. Just, and just, there he was in Dingle with 80 people in front of him. I'm just you laughing know, so. the way the names just trip off your tongue. Like, it's great. It's, it's, you know, these, you're, not, you're not dropping names at all, Philip. No, well, I mean, I, 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 I can't deny it. These, these, these are the people that yeah, come and want to play in Dingle. And they want to come to places like Cork as well, because, as I said, the mission statement is to celebrate what's about to happen. And what we try to do is to identify and recognise people that we believe are committed artists and committed to their art and celebrate them and platform them to the world. And then everybody in the world has access to this. Anybody who has a television will be able to turn it on and go onto our, our YouTube channel, our Other Voices YouTube channel, and you can see that at www.othervoices.ie. And um, there will be some access then for folks to come into the campus um, at a number of venues within the campus and then there'll be the streaming piece and then we'll be in the Alamax where I probably did my very first gig as a young fella, oh, you know, God. and uh, still still on the road with, the, with Scullion. I was just and, um, about to ask you that as a Scullion yes. fan from the good old right. days. You guys uh, are no. back on the road. We are. We have a new record about to be released. Um, it's called Time Has Made a Change in Me. And we've been releasing a single or two from that over the last while. And we're about to go and do about 25 shows between now and Christmas to, um, to just, just to celebrate the, Brilliant. The, the, the new recording, which I'm thrilled about. Well, when and Stockton's went back on the road a couple of years ago, I just said it has to be that Scullion are back as well. <laughs> <laughs> that that's right. That's right. So I mean one thing follows another. So we're just we're just so delighted. Fantastic. But I can I can I say this? Just if it, it strikes me as I'm speaking to you and you're clearly like a music fan. Um 
music is a hugely civilizing influence. It brings us together in times of a screen-dominated life and a digitally lonely life, you know, and particularly coming out of the isolation of COVID, collapsing distance and bringing people together in a live setting in a visceral, human, tactile, warm way is a fantastic thing. And it's one of the great assets that Ireland has is that it is it has a brilliant, brilliant resource yeah. in its arts, in its culture, and in the natural resource of imagination that creates the intellectual property that we call music. Philip, you couldn't have said it better if you wrote it down. Other voices at UCC, end of September. An incredibly exciting lineup coming. Thank you, Philip. That's just been launched this morning. Philip King, organiser of the Dingle Other Voices. They'll be doing that in December. And uh, the one of the people behind the brilliant Scullion, one of the best Irish bands of all time, and other voices at UCC at the end of the month. That's about it. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow just after nine. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96FM. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.